Proxy, the show where we leave our house so you don't have to. I'm Andrea. And I'm Aaron. And we're live at Die Laughing. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? That's right. Normally, uh, we bring you our a destination anywhere from right in our neighborhood to far off lands, but we're at the Phoenix Theater this time. And we are still bringing you our experience, uh, some history and a taste of each destination by sampling something kind of unique to it. So whether you're listening to this in your car, on a train, on a plane, or in Spain, or right here at the Phoenix, you'll learn about something to add to your bucket list. Or remove from it. Today, we're going to start by talking about this building that we're in. And we're going to also kick things off by sampling a taste of one of Aaron's delectable creations. I'm making Moscow Mules uh, that I've added. Uh, it's a spiced orange alcoholic ginger beer, too, so there's always more booze in it. And then we are going to go ahead and explore San Antonio, Texas. So sit back and take a journey with us as we talk about the world outside your window. How's it going? Not bad, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So I forgot a bottle opener. It's the one thing that I forgot on my prep for today. You, you don't have a bottle opener? I don't have a bottle opener. How could you not have a bottle opener? It's a good thing we have a live audience with us, right? <laughs> Somebody's got to have a master key on them. Here they come. There Thank we go. you so Somebody's much. Somebody's got to have a master key on them. Perfect. All right. While you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the drink that I picked up right outside from the Phoenix Bar. It is the Magic Jack Blackcurrant Passion Cider from New York. It is delicious, crisp, refreshing, and a 3.9 on beer, actually, on untapped. So some people like it and some people don't. And that's about, the, uh, that's about what you would expect from a Blackcurrant Passion Cider. That sounds delicious. I'm going to continue designing the uh, mule. So I've also picked up uh, Froggy Bee Vodka today because it looked wonderful. And it also says artisanal vodka on it. And I thought that was some of the Wait, most Wait, is it artisanal stuff. or artisanal? Uh, it says artisanal. So there's no sh in there? No, there's no sh in there. You can read it even for yourself. See? Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Froggy Bee Vodka. Oh, it's cold. It's got uh, tasting notes on the back, too, which is well, amazing I'm going to read this entire vodka. thing because it's kind of cool. You can be organic, French, and fun. There's an exclamation point. That is why Froggy Bee was created. A manufactured frog. He has a business suit and everything. Well, they have a business suit and everything. It's a frog, after all. When industrialization can drive the flavor of products to extreme neutral taste, somewhere in France, we try to keep the richness and savory experience of vodka. Froggy Bee is proof that you do not need to, to be too serious to offer a great quality and tasty organic vodka. And then if mentioning France wasn't enough multiple times in that description, in big letters they say, imported from France. Because we're fancy. And then they go on to say, 100% French. From harvest to bottling, our organic French wheat vodka is redistilled in a tiny copper pot still in the heart of the southwest of France. 
This ultimate touch of French tradition gives Froggy Bee Vodka its creamy texture and incomparable finish. I really hope we taste the French in this. I'm, I'm really hoping we taste the French. I'm, I'm actually, actually just see if I can taste the French right now. Do it. I'm actually bummed that I missed the opportunity to say we're Frenchy instead of we're fancy. Yeah, Those it actually, uh, I don't really know what French tastes like, but um, I do taste a little bit of that, like, uh, that kind of grain pot still uh, flavor to it and a little bit of that uh, burn to it. I think there is, uh, there's actually a little bit of that weediness to it. I'm looking and I'm sorry that I just it. ruined this bottle of vodka that you bought <laughs> instead of actually making you get a glass. I brought glasses too. I have. I know. Uh, I have solo cups in the box. Oh, here. You, that would have been nice to know. Right. Well, you just kind of opened just it. Opened I didn't your... want to stop your uh, stop your improv there. So. <laughs> All right. Well, while you're uh, dishing that up, why don't I kind of take you and paint a picture of the place that we're in right now? Um, the building that we are kind of sitting in has kind of had a long history to it. Um, the furthest back that I can find is that this building was built in 1909. Um, and it's kind of had a, it's changed hands a lot. It's mostly been used as a rental space. Um, and uh, up until probably like the mid 1920s or 1930s, um, it was operated uh, kind of in different spaces. So they had like a, a, a upstairs and a downstairs that people would rent out. And like the upstairs was used as more of like an office and business space. And the downstairs was kind of used as a convenience and um, uh, a retail space. Um, and up until, you know, probably about the... 40s-ish, it was, uh, or 1945 or so, it was a uh, SL London Music Company. Um, it sold, they sold uh, cigarette machines, um, phonographs, um, jukeboxes, um, and then above them, or below them, was uh, another place that existed called, that was uh, owned by Murray M. Kirschbaum, Inc., which was a one-stop, which was a term I wasn't actually familiar with at all. I've never heard of the one stop either until yeah, you started. Yeah. Has doing anyone out in the audience ever heard of the one, of one stop before? No. <laughs> Good one person. <laughs> no, I love it. A one stop is actually a term used to refer to uh, people that, or to refer to basically like a convenience store. Um, it was like a one stop shop. So whenever you see like uh, somebody talking about a one stop shop, originally it meant like a one stop place you could go and get like kind of like the goods and services you needed. Um, so like if you needed cigarettes, you needed like small produce, that kind of thing. That's, that's kind of what it was. Um, the people that actually owned, uh, the, uh, owned Miriam Kirschbaum Inc. moved out. Um, their names were Ray and Dick Brown and Vera Schwartz. Um, they moved out of that place and, uh, eventually they changed their name because, uh, naming their, their, their place Miriam Kirschbaum Inc. when their names were Ray and Dick Brown and Vera Schwartz wasn't really kind of uh, catchy. They named their company Brown Brothers, which made a lot more sense. Um, and that's when kind of uh, Lieberman companies came in and purchased uh, ownership of the, the people who had kind of taken over that space. Um, and Lieberman Music Company... Um, was a company that sold Seberg jukeboxes. They were Seberg jukebox machine distributor and many other things. Um, and actually, before I get into that, because I've got a huge info dump for y'all, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about this cocktail? 
All right, so uh, the Moscow Mule itself is a pretty basic cocktail. I'm sure most of you have ever had it. It is vodka with lime juice and ginger beer, and you can make it in kind of any way. You can mix and match your alcohols. Uh, honestly, like I chose the Froggy Bee literally because of the bottle and because it was said artisanal, and it made me laugh when I was at the liquor store last night. Um, but the uh, the ginger beer I've gotten is Krabby's Spiced Orange Alcoholic Ginger Beer, and I tried it a couple of years ago, and I try to make all of my mules with it now. A, because there's the extra alcohol boost, and B, it just adds an extra level of like citrus flavor to it, so it's not just that kind of one-note lime with vodka in it, and it's got a nice kind of extra depth of flavor that I really enjoy. Yeah, it really does. Actually, the there's um, I really like the spiciness of it. You want to take a look at the bottle there? Ooh, oh, I like the what? What are the? What is the? Is that supposed to be ginger? I think it's supposed to be ginger, but it really looks like a flowering cactus. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, I know you probably all can't see it, but if you want to like look at it later, we can show it to you. It looks like a cactus in an avocado or an, an uh, artichoke had a baby with like really weird pink hair. Yeah, this is like when cactus went through its punk phase. <laughs> it's like, hey, mom, I'm uh, I'm not gonna like follow your routine. I'm gonna be like my own ginger beer. I'm going to rebel and just be my own ginger beer. Thank you very much. I'm hanging out with Orange now. You can't stop us. You can't stop us. We're going to be used in cool cocktails. We're going to be different. We're going to be hipster cocktails. <laughs> that's, a, that's our entire shtick is just hipster cocktails at this point. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of episodes have kind of been that. We went to Lawless. We went to uh, Tattersall. And we spent a lot of time drinking really interesting stuff that's been made locally because we're like that. And we just have started to own our hipsterness. Uh, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lieberman Companies and how they got their start? Gotcha. Uh, so they started uh, as a, a jukebox. Because I really like this. <laughs> they started as a jukebox uh, distributor for Seaberg, uh, but now they actually sell ATMs. So they uh, they are a certified ISO processor of AT- ATMs, uh, amusement route operator, and owners of Elise's Place Gaming Establishments in Illinois. Elsie's Place. Elsie's. Wow, I read that wrong. Uh, they are based in Bloomington, Minnesota, and uh, they've been family-owned since its inception in 1907. Uh, Samuel Lieberman, who was a Lithuanian immigrant to Minnesota, started that company in 1907, uh, and it was a small business just making and servicing coin-operated, coin-operated machines in bars and restaurants. And interestingly enough, um, about the time when he was servicing coin-operated machines in bars and restaurants... Um, there was sort of a, a bunch of articles being written in industry magazines at the time um, about how uh, St. Paul and other um, other cities around the country were kind of cracking down on like pinball uh, operators and like gaming establishments because they were viewing pinball as gambling, which you, today you don't you wouldn't really think of anybody thinking of pinball as gambling, but. Um, if you think about the concept of putting coins in for an artificial score as a reward, um, you could kind of see maybe how pinball might be viewed as sort of this evil gambling machine. There was actually a uh, there was a court case that that I think went to the Supreme Court about whether or not pinball was gambling or not. And uh, if I remember drunk history correct, because that's where I got the information from it, uh, they they actually had a uh, like pinball expert play pinball in court to prove that it was a game of skill and not a gambling game. Yeah, and um, the other thing that I think, the, one of the other reasons, too, is that some of the people that were kind of owning these, like, arcades and putting um, 
pinball in art in bars were owner were mob owners people that were owning like liquor licenses um at the time um there's there's somebody in minneapolis uh who we talk about in our upcoming uh lawless episode that would actually use his family and friends names to buy up liquor licenses so that he could actually own more and more bars yeah because you could only hold so many as a single individual or corporation at that time so he just correct one got a actually. racket going quite literally mm-hmm. and surprisingly that's actually not what he was arrested for it was prostitution because <laughs> it's always something completely opposite of the actual crimes that they're committing uh, anyway, back uh, beyond coin-operated machinery. Uh, yeah, so after Samuel uh, Lieberman passed away in 1938, uh, his son Harold uh, formed the Lieberman Music Company, uh, and they were the jukebox distributor and di- an additional division called Viking Vending, uh, who distributed food and drink machines. Does which... anybody recognize uh, Viking Vending? Yeah, exactly. They are still all over the place. Uh, and then they, they still operate that uh, business with the fourth generation owners, Hal and Dan. Uh, and they, in addition to the ATM, they also operate a 275 customer amusement route in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in St. Paul, called American Amusement Arcades. Uh, and then they also own Elsie's, because I'm going to pronounce it right this time, uh, plays gaming restaurant, restaurants in the Chicago area. And the first Elsie's opened in Worth, Illinois in May 2014. That might be Worth, Illinois' claim to fame. They have a casino. They do. All right. And then in uh, January of 2016, so we're getting actually really close to current day, uh, American Vending Sales acquired Lieberman Company's amusement and vending distribution business. Uh, and then they still sell a- ATMs. Um, with RBS Worldplay, and in 2010, Lieberman Companies was named a top 10 distributor of ATMs by Payment Alliance International, PAI, uh, a provider of electronic payment processing solutions. I actually used to work for a company that provided uh, cash access and ATM info. Really? Or, in, or like access. Yeah, we. Huh. Uh, it, was a, it was a job that I did a, like, God, 10 years ago now, um, and it they... The company provided cash access. You could do check cashing, and then they ran ATMs, mostly in casinos in, like, in, uh, it was a lot in Wisconsin, kind of northern Iowa. And uh, my job was literally to track down people who owed us a lot of money and try to contact them and collect for them. (laughs) I did that for, like, eight months. That that sounds a little... um... Ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah. No, I. We're we'll both ridiculous. It was very ridiculous, and I, it was you know I have my like professional phone voice, and everybody who's ever worked in an office environment has that. So it's just me, like, hi, this is Aaron from Company Redacted. Uh, you owe us forty five thousand dollars. Could you start paying that, please? That would be great. Uh, cash or check? Uh, not really accepted, other than uh, electronic transfer or cash if you provide it to these locations. And most people hung up on me. That was ninety percent of my day. They also uh, they also started uh, I think the Playland Arcade business. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've ever been to a Playland Arcade, uh, they were behind getting those Playland Arcades out there. Although there really aren't too many of those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they uh, purchased the. Um, they also kind of purchased the brand name of, let's see, the A and W restaurant. Oh, a and purchased the company in 1997. Oh, okay. Yeah. They had a restaurant. They had restaurants, actually, called Carousel Snack Bars that A&W purchased from them. 
97. Uh, and they also, uh, they had Lieberman Enterprises, and they were the second largest distributor of music and movies in the U.S. Uh, in the 80s and early 90s. And they were actually a publicly traded company at that time. So the fascinating thing about this for me, as kind of like a history nerd, is to, to watch how, like, how uh, kind of everything kind of tendrils out from where you are. Like, you have something that... Um, that started as like a convenience store and um, uh, you know, the brave new workshop rents it out. Um, f- but up until that point, you have somebody that sold cigarette machines, like little, um, little capsule vending machines, like the little kind of, kind of, kind of things you would go and pay like a quarter and get like a little knickknack. Um, and that company is the one that, you know, has maybe an ATM or has a thing that you went and bought like a, a, a Coke from or a, a, a bag of chips from. Like, it, it's amazing to see the, the weird interconnectivity that exists there. Um, and actually, after, after Lieberman um, kind of shut down their operation there because they're a big company, they didn't really need yet another office in Minneapolis, because they already had one over on Penn Avenue and eventually over in Bloomington, um, there was this. Uh, there was this. There was also a place called uh, Hennepin Wheel Goods uh, Corporated or company. Yeah, Hennepin Wheel Goods Company that sold like bikes and like tricycles, um, and eventually, and it also had like a machine shop too, where they would fix like. Uh, like cars and bikes and that kind of thing. And that's when uh, Dudley Riggs um, kind of walking out of the embers, which was what Chipotle across the street was, saw it and said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to open a theater there. And uh, this comes from uh, Margie Simmons, the current uh, outreach director from Brave New Workshop. Um, I reached out to her to get some additional information for this one. Um, She says that... um, it was a machine shop before Dudley Riggs signed a lease in November of 1965. Um, at some point, the building was split in two. Um, on one side, it had sort of a hair salon called a Nouveau Salon, among other businesses. Um, but it was a salon up until about 2002 or 2003, when the current owners of Brave New Workshop, John Sweeney and Jenny Lilladal, took over Nouveau's lease and kind of smashed the two spaces into one which is sort of the place that we're in today. It really is. And I... <laughs> it's really weird to think that the snack bar used to be a hair salon. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, you like, look at that space, and it does not look like it should be a hair salon, because obviously the chairs and everything are gone, and none of the sinks exist, because that's how you know renovations work in businesses. But yeah, like that, like all that space was was a hair salon. Like the place that we're in right now, you could you could be sitting like right over a spot that somebody was like sitting under a car, or um, like over there, you could you could actually be sitting in a place where a cigarette machine was, or an ATM, or any other dozens of machines that they just kind of had hanging out for uh, purchase or rent to other businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just astounding to to see the the evolution of of where we ended up in terms of um you know getting from point a to point b and and just the storied history of a building like this place i think to kind of close off 
our our long-winded history of this place i just want to call out um i found an article i think it's the like it's either the saint thomas or the uh uh uh, saint kate's uh newspaper from like 1973 that talks about like the the brave new workshop opening and the um it's just a very short stub that reviews it and this is their review this is usually very funny and always very secular. Christians may have a hard time with some of the stuff, but if you can get around it, you'll be in for a lot of laughs. (laughs) Uncle Sam's the mother of them all, or who will buy the bicentennial through December 21st? Monday night at the workshop, Mondays at 8 p.m. That's the entire review. 90%. Ninety percent. Uh, my my sensitivities don't allow me to really go there, but it was funny. Exactly. Yeah, and and that actually kind of that kind of brings me to like the space that we're at today. Like the the idea that um, that the Arts Nest and Phoenix have kept uh, have kept theater happening here and have kept the spirit of performance alive that we have that we have fearless putting on a, a, a marathon here, that we have artists contributing and donating their time to do stuff like this today, uh, highlights that you know the creative spirit is alive and well in uh, 2605 Hennepin Avenue. And then you get to watch us drink. Yeah. <laughs> or spill our drinks. <laughs> Would you like a napkin? Because I brought those too. Because I uh, what you brought napkins? I brought napkins. I brought everything but a master key. You should see if you see the bag I have over here. It's just full of stuff. Did you bring snacks? Uh, I do have. Uh, I have. I have honey roasted peanuts. Ah uh, no, we can't have those. Okay. That is the only snack that I happen to have in the bag, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> it's okay. I don't actually need snacks. Uh, so, uh, Aaron. Yes. Uh, we have this thing at Travel by Proxy where if we've both visited a place and we've tasted something, it's the completely arbitrary review scale. Um, it is the thing that keeps us coming back because really, like when you think about reviews, they're they're kind of dumb. They're they're basically bullshit. Because it's just some person's opinion assigning a number uh, a number scale to to something just arbitrarily like, the, and that really doesn't tell you anything. And and really like when you're talking about a review of a place, unless it's absolutely terrible, in which case why bother reviewing it in the first place? Um, why not just say what you liked about a place? Yeah. So that's why we came up with the completely arbitrary review scale. Uh, before we get into that, the one thing that really cracks me up is I spend a lot of time looking at reviews for the place that I work uh, and also for our podcast and other things. The things that I found uh, in just searching reviews on Google, TripAdvisor, Yelp, everything like that, you will find some of the weirdest things that people are just complaining about this one interaction that they had, and it sometimes is valid. Uh, but my favorite are the people that give a place three stars and they're like, it was great. I would love to come back here every day. And it's like, why would you give it three stars? Like, it's an up to five. If you think it's amazing and you want to come there all the time, just give it the five stars. Exactly. It doesn't make sense to me either, which is why which is why there's no sense in assigning a number scale to any kind of review. So, on our completely arbitrary review scale, we just say the one thing we like that would keep us coming back. I mean, for the Phoenix Theater, I would think it would be... It just it reminds me of being in Uptown like when I was younger, 10 years ago. So it's just a summer day, um, wandering around and then wanting to go somewhere dark and get away from the sun for a few minutes and just watch something funny. 
That's that's really cool. Um, for me, it is seeing it, it. It's the the sense of community and the diversity of entertainment. That's what would keep me coming back to the Phoenix. That and the uh, sign that's on the bathroom downstairs in the green area. It's uh, it's have you? I don't know if anyone's ever seen it online. Uh, it's got like a photo, uh, and it's got kind of like a centaur with tentacles, um, and then like a mermaid, and it just says "Whatever, wash your hands." Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Okay. I'm revising my review. That is why I keep coming back to the Phoenix. All right, so we're going to just take a brief uh, podcast pause so that we can cut this episode in half because we also have a commitment as Travel by Proxy that our episodes will never be longer than a half hour. So even though we blocked an hour's worth of time off for our podcast, we're never going to go longer than a half hour for our show. We wanted you to actually just be able to do a normal commute and listen to us one way or listen to us one way there, one way back. Yep. So uh, I'll actually stop topic talking, which is difficult for me. <laughs> It's difficult for both of us. Aaron, stop talking. We're out of time today, but that doesn't mean the show has to end. You can contact us by leaving a comment at travelbyproxy.com or by emailing fans at travelbyproxy.com. The Travel by Proxy theme is Good Day by Alex, copyright 2012. Our closing music is Now We're Talking by Jerris, they're just playing now, copyright 2015. Both are licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license and can be found at dig.ccmixter.org. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we wish you a look out your window. That you find. Now we're talking about things and places all.